The following movie is rated R. Welcome back to the R-rated podcast. Today's guest, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Today, we don't actually have a guest because it's just going to be me. But I promise you, it's going to be just as exciting. And I have a lot of information to share with you guys. Today's topic is how to direct a movie. So we talked about how to write a movie. And I figured, you know, today we should talk about how to direct a movie. Since I do both, I figured um, starting with the how to write a movie would be more beneficial because essentially to direct a script, you would need to have a script written first. So um, how to write a movie came out first. So you get a general idea of how to write a script. And now this is kind of like a continuation of that and what you would do once you do have a script as a director. So I would like to start with, um, I'll probably be using my own movies as an example a lot, just because it's probably easier for me. But um, just to start off, usually you have a script in front of you. You read the script. That's the first thing you do because you want to know what is happening in the story, what is going on, who are the characters, what world we're in, um, what's the feeling, what's the tone of the movie. Um, You have to, you know, really read it and interpret the script correctly. So obviously, if it's a drama, you're not going to be having, you know, jolly like comedic music in the background that wouldn't make sense it wouldn't set the right tone or feel of the film so as a director your job is to really identify what is the feel of the film is it a sad feeling are we happy you know is it a scary a scary feeling like what is going on is the main character the protagonist you know um did they lose someone did they just get married like what is happening so once you really have identified the script and you're like, okay, I read it. I know exactly like what's going on in the story. This is what I envisioned for the film. But obviously you need a team, right? You can't just make this movie happen by yourself. So once you set the tone of the film, you essentially work with key department heads. For example, like the set designer, the cinematographer, and tell them, hey, this is the look. This is the feel that I'm feeling for this film. So, for example, if in the script it says um, Alicia is sitting on a pink couch, specific artwork, like really uh, trendy artwork hanging on her walls. She has very girly girl um, accessories and home decor, like just like stuff like that. So if that was in the script, I would tell the head, the department head of set design, hey, um, you know, in the script where it says, you know, her room's pink with the pink couch and all these like really girly accessories and painting that's really artsy and modern. Um, We essentially would talk out like what the feel of the whole film is like that was just an example of that scene, but you would essentially go through the whole script and tell them exactly what you are imagining and feeling for that specific um, scene or look. So once they, once everyone, once all the department heads are on the same page as you, they know what look and feel you want. Um, that's kind of where everyone starts working in their own little groups to make that happen. But before all that, obviously, when you're reading the script, you essentially have to highlight all the characters that are going to be in the story because each character you know, is going to be wearing something else. Each character is going to be feeling something else, doing something else, applying something else to the story. So highlight all the characters in the script so we know exactly who the actors are or who the characters are. The next step is to highlight all the um, props that are going to be in the story. So for example, if it says like, oh, there's, um, they are walking into the store and there's a robbery and the, the guy's gun like accidentally falls out. So the gun would be a prop. So we need to make sure we would highlight that. Um, maybe since they're in the store, she would have a purse and it would say that like anything that could be considered a prop, you would have to highlight. 
so that you know what to tell the set designer and they know what to get as well to set that scene up for you that you had been talking about, you know, basically being very organized is the key. Essentially, you're really in charge of the creative look of the film. So you want to make sure that it's really looking the way that it says in the script, because you're the eyes of the script. So you don't want to just say like any church will do because that's not true. Maybe not any church will do like maybe it's very specific. Maybe it has to be a Korean church. So you best be getting that Korean church. Basically, what I'm trying to say is really interpret the uh, script, set the tone, know what the feel is, be organized, highlight everything um, regarding props, characters, and location. Obviously, they're going to try to make it happen because, you know, you're the director, so they trust your vision. And that doesn't mean there's not gonna, it's going to be a smooth road because there's always something that's going on. But at least when people understand your vision because you're communicating it, it's a lot easier to make it happen. So the first thing that you would create is a shot list and maps out exactly what is going to happen and what's going to be used for that particular shot. So I know it could sound a little bit confusing or not really clear, but to be specific, you need to be specific on set and specific about exactly how that shot's going to be taking place. I know everyone's probably like, well, don't you just get the camera and just, you know, sit it down and, you know, press record and you got your shot? Uh, Not really. I mean, it would be cool. I mean, essentially, you do do that, but there's, you know, it's more planned out. You have to really think, like, is that shot going to work? Is it necessary? How, like, how are we going to make that shot happen? Is it something handheld? Is it on a dolly? Like, what's the situation? The reason why it's important is because it's a detailed checklist that gives the video a sense of direction and, you know, prepares the crew and the film for what the expectations are. So usually before going on set, everyone kind of has an idea of your general shot list. You know, the AD, uh, the AD means assistant director. So the assistant director knows exactly what the shot list is because they are creating a schedule, a time schedule around your shot list. So essentially everything is going around the shot list. So you don't want to just be like, ha ha, like I'm the director and I have all the time in the world. I'm going to create 70 shots for this one scene. Like, no, that's insane. Don't do that. If you can get all those shots and let's just say 10 shots, do that. Like you don't need all this like extra shots and like over-exaggerated. Like sometimes just one smooth shot can be so much more than like 10 different angles cuts in that one scene. I, I mean, it can get exciting. There's those movies that, yeah, it works, but I'm not saying it's always necessary. But a shot list is necessary because it tells everyone what is happening and what we're doing in the scene. So if we're going to start with scene one, it'd be scene one, take one. And we would basically describe in in the shot list where it says shot description because you would make a column. And the first column would say shot number and then it would say shot description. So you would describe a, sh- a short description um, of the action or the dialogue, whatever is happening um, in that scene. Um, I know it sounds silly, like breaking it down, like a shot description, like write a shot description, but like, that's literally what it is. You have to describe what's happening in the scene. Um, and then the third column would say the shot size. So how big or how small the subject is in the frame you know, obviously it's going to be different for every film. It's going to be different for every director and it's going to be different for every story and script because you want to connect the shots and the shot types and the shot sizes with the look and the feel of of the story. You know, you want it to be appropriate. You don't want to just be throwing in a bird's eye view for no reason. It's like, why are we so high up? Like this is more personal and intimate. You know what I mean? You want to have the right shots. So after you figure out the shot size, you want to put the shot type. A shot type is the camera angle or how the camera frame is going to be, you know, framed up to the subject. So essentially, is it going to be like POV? Like maybe we are the, the camera is the main character's eyes, you know, that could be, that would be the shot type. So maybe that's POV or maybe it's a Dutch angle. Dutch angle is usually you know, used in thrillers or scary movies when something out of the ordinary is happening. 
it's when the camera's tilted to like the left or right at a at like a crooked angle when it makes you feel kind of uneasy like something is about to happen that maybe usually doesn't happen then in the fifth column sorry if i said there was four columns i lied there's more columns like this is a little little cheat cheat for everybody who's directing or making a shot list if you go on studio binder they have templates already made for you um shot list templates that literally that literally have everything like it everything that I'm like listing right now, it has it all on the um, shot list and then you just fill it out. So it's super easy. But in the next column would be the movement. So how's the camera going to move or is it even going to move in the shot? And you might think that's not important, but it is because, you know, is the camera going to pan to the left? Is it going to dolly up? Is it going to be handheld shaking? Like, are we chasing someone? All that matters. You don't think, you might not think like, oh, like I don't even notice. You do notice that smooth movement in movies that you see. It's usually on a dolly because think about how shaky your hands are sometimes. Yeah, we all have those moments. So, you know, if it's on a dolly, it's probably going to be smooth. And the key thing about film that you need to know is it's a repetitive job. You're basically doing the same shit over and over and over until you get it right. Until it feels, until the director honestly is like, yeah, that's exactly how I imagined it, or that's like how I think it should look. You want to make sure that everything is exactly the same. The continuity is the same. So that even is with the smoothness and the movements of the shot. If you want more of a handheld shakiness because some your main character is running away from something or something uneasy is happening, then yeah, going handheld might be the way to go. But some cinematographers get tired and they don't necessarily want to be holding the camera for every shot. So maybe consider substitutions. Um, Obviously, it has to be in the budget, but that's something that your producer is in charge of. So luckily, the director doesn't really have to worry about the money part. That's the producer's job. You really focus only on the creativity and the feel of the film. Um, Continuing on to the shot list, (laughs) once you have the... Once you have that part done, you want to fill out in the next column the lens. So you want to essentially let everyone know what size lens they'll be needing or using. Um, Is it going to be like a telescopic close-up? You know, is it going to be an angle shot? Like, obviously, the the lens size is going to matter. It has to match with what you're wanting. So essentially working with the cinematographer and really figuring out like, Hey, which of these lenses is going to give me that shot that I'm wanting. And obviously like the cinematographer is going to have a good idea of what lens will give you essentially that look that you want. So always working with people that know their shit and that you work well with is key. And don't forget everyone on the film crew brings value of their own. You know what I mean? Like, Every without everyone's help, you wouldn't be able to make this film. Because they're basically the missing puzzle piece that you need to make that film complete. You know, without them, there would be a hole missing. So everyone's important. Typically, after you have the shot list um, completed, it's it's a lot easier to kind of like imagine the whole look and feel of the film because now every Everyone's kind of like, okay, so the cinematographer knows what's going on because, you know, we understand the shot and feel, like, what we're doing, what lenses we're going to need. So that's good. That's a check. The AD now, the assistant director, has an idea of how long he needs to schedule each scene, how we're gonna, how long we're going to take. Essentially, just plan out the shooting days. So, you know, if you have 12-hour days, you have to basically, as the assistant director, fi- figure out, okay, How are we going to shoot all of these scenes in seven days or in three days? Like the assistant director basically has to consider how how long is it going to take the team to set up this shot? Meaning how long is it going to take production design to, you know, set, decorate the room, like hang up those posters, hang up those pictures. Um, I don't know, make the bed, change the bed sheets, whatever it is, whatever is happening. Maybe it's a satanic scene. Maybe they have to have candles everywhere and salt everywhere. But you also have to make sure that you don't burn the house down. So maybe you have to use candles that aren't real flames. You know, you have to use the fake ones. Like these are all things you have to think about before because you can't just be going on set and be like, okay, let's figure it out while we're on there. Like you need to be organized before. So that way when you go on to production, it's smooth. It's 
um, fun. It's organized and everybody knows what they're doing. This is what the director does during pre-production. You've read the script, you, you know, interpret the script, you set the tone already, you created a shot list, you talk to the key heads about the shot list. They know what you're expecting each shot, what the vibe is, what the look is, what the feel is. So they're like, okay, they're working on that while you're creating your overhead as well. So an overhead is essentially a bird's eye view of the action. If you're like, what action? Like, what are you talking about? Like where where everyone, where all the crew members are going to be standing? No, 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 no. What's essentially happening in the scene? So basically it's just like a little map of where where everything's going to be set up, where everything's going to be. So no one's like showing up there like, hey, like I, I think the camera needs to be here. And then, you know, set the set designers like, oh, wait, but I'm putting a couch there. Like that wouldn't make sense. So essentially an overhead is a map to help everyone from being confused and essentially just keep it organized. You know, a film set usually has so many people. You don't want to have all these people on set, not knowing where to, where to go, where to stand, what to do. Like you have to be organized. So if you're wondering what an overhead should include, I'm going to tell you right now. So you want to start with the characters. Characters appear basically as circles because it's just way too much work to draw people, first of all. Second of all, if you're like me and you don't know how to draw, stick figures could get confusing as well because, you know, they all start looking the same and you're just confused. So essentially you want to create circles. And with so okay, so basically it sounds kind of funny. There's circles with like little triangle noses on them to indicate the direction that they're facing. So if I have a circle on this overhead and the triangle is facing to the right, what would that mean? Yes, you're right. That means the character is facing to the right. Oh my god, I feel like Dora the fucking explorer. <laughs> you would mark each character with their initials because like I said, you would get confused if you just have a bunch of stick figures just sitting there and you're like, "Okay, which one's which?" So, you draw the circle, you have the rectangle with the nose, and it's facing to the right, so we know that the character is facing to the right, but we don't know who it is. So, you got to initial it. Let's use my initials, PE. So, now we know that Priscilla and Prechtinger is going to be standing facing to the right. If a character is moving during a scene, you want to make sure that you're drawing them at their start. And then you draw like stop points with an arrow in between so that you're you're including it in other actions like sitting, laying, pointing. And you can add, you can do stick figures if it makes it easier, like they're sitting and stuff. But with the initials and the little triangle nose, I think people understand it. I know it sounds silly, but this is really how it works. (laughs) Um, And then you also have to draw the camera because we need to know where the camera is going to be, not just the characters. So you're going to draw the camera as a V, a lower V. It indicates the lens and the size and direction. So as with the characters, if a camera moves during a scene, you would draw the start and stop points with an arrow in between. And you have to include multiple shots on one overhead by drawing more cameras and marking them with their shot number. Honestly, this part kind of gets confusing for me sometimes because I will end up kind of being sloppy and having all these like little cameras everywhere. And I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) So but to avoid this problem where you're like, I can't even tell because my handwriting is so messy. Like I said, Studio Binder, you can already get a template that's already, you know, pre-made. Um, it's it's not like pre-made, but I, when, I'm, when I say pre-made, it, it's basically like you can go on there and it has like the, the little shapes that I was telling you about, like the little camera, the little circle with the triangle nose indicating it as characters. You can like click them and then move them with your mouse essentially where you want it to be and same with the camera. And yes, it does make it easier, but... If you're not that tech savvy, it might take longer. It might be easier just to hand draw it out. But, you know, I get like, you know, the not wanting to always draw it out because it's just confusing and sloppy. Not all of us are skilled artists. <laughs> uh, 
Moving on with the overheads, you want to add the environment um, of the scene. So make sure that you include any important environmental objects, such as like a wall or a window, you know, doors, any props that could be in the way or special effects devices or something like that. Um, but for the most part, you know, you would essentially, if it's going to be in a room, maybe draw like four walls so we know exactly where the walls are going to be, how big the room is, and where the camera's going to be, and where the characters are facing and all that, and if they're moving. Huh. So basically, that's the overheads. And yes, we're still in pre-production. All we've done so far is, let's backtrack it. We read the script. We created a shot list so we know exactly what shot what angle, who's in that shot, and what's like what the shot needs to look like. Um, now we have the overhead, so we know where everything's going to be placed. And now you would move on to the storyboard. I personally have a love-hate relationship with the storyboards because I'm kind of envious of everyone that knows how to draw because I'm like, damn, like you're just out here with a sick-ass storyboard and I'm here with my stick figures and everyone's just like trying not to laugh at it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone has seen a storyboard because it's very popular with like Pixar and like all the animated movies, you know, just, you know, seeing it laid out and stuff and seeing it step by step. Storyboards are essential in so many ways because you are basically telling us what the shot is going to look like, like how you literally imagine it because you're drawing it out. So for example, for that first scene, if I if we are starting with like a close up of her eyes, because she I don't know, let's just say she has piercing blue eyes, and she's laying, she's like, she's doing a back float in the lake, in the lake's like fresh water, and she's like has her eyes closed, and when she opens her eyes, we see her piercing blue eyes. So we want to be like at an extreme close up, and then we like pan out into bird's eye view. And we see like that she's like in this lake, just back floating. I would have to draw that so that they understand that. Like, obviously that would be in the shot list already. Um, like I just said, so it would be like um, extreme close up. shot description would be like, she opens her eyes while she's swimming in a back float position. Um, once she opens eyes, we pan out into bird's eye view. Like that's how you would have it on the shot list. But in the storyboard, you're literally drawing it out. Like, it's just drawing. So if you're not good at drawing, bless your heart, I guess you would draw her eyes very close up. And that intense look that she would give the camera. And then you would draw her from far away, bird's eye view, like swimming in the lake. And then, you know, everyone can kind of piece together what's happening. Like, oh, it's an extreme close up. And then it, it pans out into a bird's eye view. That's essentially what she wants, right? So... It's a simple way to have everyone stay on the same page because you can show the cinematographer your storyboard and you're like, oh yeah, like, you know, maybe they, maybe it wasn't lining up the way that you had written it down on the shot list. But if you have your storyboard, it's literally drawn out on there. So you can see like exactly how you want it. It's literally a visual drawing of it. So you can kind of just literally follow that. And it helps the art department because, you know, dressing is a, Dressing a set requires a lot of time and money and effort. How is your crew going to know how many props to get and where to place them if they don't know the framing of each shot? And storyboards can really help you figure that out. Because if the camera is not even going to get that, you know, fourth wall in there and your art department just hung up a ton of posters, that's a waste of time. We're not even going to see that in the movie. So it's like, you might as well just draw it out and tell us exactly what's going to be seen because you're not going to, there's no point in dressing the whole room if you're not going to see that part of the room. You know what I mean? So storyboards are definitely essential and helpful to everyone who is involved in the film crew. And it just helps you to direct too, because, you know, there's a lot going on. Maybe sometimes it's easier to follow the storyboard than your shot list. Maybe you're more of a visual person. That's kind of me. Like I'm a visual learner. Like I like to see it in front of me. Um, that's kind of how I learn. So sometimes I feel like just going by the storyboard would be so much easier than just going by the shot list. Since I can't draw that out, it has, I, I do stick to the shot list more, but 
if you if it's in your budget and you have it, get a get a professional storyboard artist. Have them draw it out for you. Um, it would be worth it because then you have this like really also. And then when the movie's done, you have this really great artwork and like memory of the, like what it was before the the live footage basically before you actually shot it. Like oh, remember when it was just a drawing? Um, that's one of my favorite parts being a director because. You know, I also write my own stuff. So essentially it was just an idea in my head. And now I am bringing that idea and bringing it to life. And something about that is just very fulfilling. A little ASMR of me drinking. <laughs> you know, usually I have a guest, so I'm not talking the full hour by myself. But this time I am. So I'm like, shit, somebody needs some water. Okay, I lied. It wasn't water. I was drinking Dr. Pepper. I'm back. Okay, so once you finish the storyboard, everyone's probably like, thank fucking God, get to the juicy shit. Um, once you are done with the storyboard, you are going to line your script. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you right now. To be honest, I don't always line my script. <laughs> I'm just being honest. I'm being real. That's kind of like the least thing I do out of everything you do as a director, I'm like, eh, line script. But I'm going to tell you because this might be beneficial to you. They're easy to make and provide useful information to the crew. But basically, you take a copy of the script and draw each shot as a solid line down the page, indicating where a shot will begin and end. If a section of the page is not covered by a particular shot, such as lines of dialogue that are off camera, draw the line with a squiggle. This always used to confuse me, like, um, especially in the beginning in film school. You just, like, see the script. Your teachers are just, like, lining all these scripts and a bunch of lines going up and down, up and down. And you're like, huh? Like, what? What does that mean? I'm like, I feel like it's gibberish. Well, it's literally just telling you how long the script is. So I want you to close your eyes. Imagine a script in front of you. I'm going to give you guys an example. This is probably one of the hardest things to teach someone over a podcast because I'm just such a visual learner. So I was like, how the fuck? Um, especially if I don't see it. But I'm going to try to describe it to you and then I'll see if you guys can get it. So, for example, if shot 5A covers John's dialogue and shot 5B covers Susie's, Make sure to include a little extra bit of action and dialogue at the beginning and end of each shot. Even if you don't intend to use it, it's helpful in editing. And essentially let the director, the assistant director know like, hey, like this is how long I think it's going to take. And then you, you know, work with them and they figure out roughly a schedule for your shoot. So now that we got the pre-production, well, we're not fully done with the pre-production, but essentially now that we have that dealt with, we can move on. The next step you would take after telling everyone what the look and feel is and, and you know, having the shot list, having the storyboards, having the overheads. Essentially, now all your key head departments know what the vibe of the film is. So they're going to work on that for you while you spend time with your actors and make sure you rehearse and really get that, you know, performance that you want. So basically, you want to motivate the actors to get that dramatic performance, right? So you want them to feel comfortable with you. The first thing you would have to have is a casting. So usually if you have the budget for it, you would have a casting director. You know, they would talk to you and be like, hey, what's the look and feel of the characters? What are you envisioning? What's the vibe? Like where are they look? Where are they from? You know, because if the story is in Mexico, we're probably not going to want to cast a blonde girl with blue eyes. It probably wouldn't make sense. Or if we're in Iceland, it probably wouldn't make sense to hire someone that, you know, was Native American or something like that. It's just like you have to see what really matches the story. Or there might it might be a a movie or a script about a zombie apocalypse. Then it doesn't matter. Then you need all sorts of type of people that look different, right? So in that case, you can cast all types of different looking people. Obviously, talent and acting skills is a huge part of it. So we want to make sure that they know how to act. But let's just say, I'll use my movie Mija as an example. I was looking for someone that that looked younger, um, that was over 18, that could look younger, and that 
possibly knew how to speak Spanish. It wasn't required. It would have just be a plus if you did. And I just wanted someone more that I just wanted someone that looked of like Latin descent. It didn't have to be Mexican specifically. It could be anyone in the Latin culture. Um, but I did want it to be someone that looks of Latin descent. Um, versus in my first film about twin girls who one of them gets kidnapped. Um, in that one, I didn't care what the family was going to look like. I actually based it off of whose performance I felt most connected to. And I was like, oh, I like this girl the most, um, which happened to be a blonde girl. And I was like, so looks like the whole family is going to have to be, you know, going off her look because I just really felt drawn to her performance. So I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to base the look off of her. And that ended up working out. Um, it was a little bit difficult because they were supposed to be twins. So, you know, trying to make people look like twins who are not twins, it's not that easy, but Hey, you live and you learn. Um, with Miha, it was actually pretty funny because the girl who played the main girl, she wasn't, she wasn't of Latin descent. She ended up being um, Armenian, but it worked because she, you know, she had that tan skin. It worked out. Like I, I just kind of felt like she could play that part. And that's what acting is all about. And if you feel the connection, like, you know, why not? And it was funny because she had red hair and I was looking for someone with curly, dark hair so even though she didn't have that initial full look that I wanted, I, as the director, made this made the commitment and I guess, I don't want to say sacrifice, but I made the commitment to spray dye her hair every day. I didn't personally, but I paid for it <laughs> to get sprayed every day um, black um, so that it would have that black curly hair feel that I had envisioned, right? So especially because my story was sent in the 80s, I was like, I want it to be like traditional. I wanted to match what I had written and imagined. So I was staying true to the story. And if dyeing her hair was part of the look that I needed to do, then that was that's what I was going to do. And she was okay with it. She was like, you know, I will do it for the character, for the for the film. And we agreed on that. And it was great. So once you got your film casted, you can leave it all in charge of the casting director, or you can be very involved and even go and be there. It's really up to you as a director, depending on how involved you want to be. I would personally want to be there because if you're going to be working really close with these actors, aren't you going to want to know what you're getting yourself into? Like, you don't want to be surprised and be like, hey, like, I had no idea like what I was getting myself into. Like, I don't know. I'm more of like, maybe I'm more controlling and I'm like, I like to know what is going on. <laughs> but anyway, um, your film is casted now. Okay. Awesome. Now you would essentially want to set up a rehearsal or multiple rehearsals with your actors because, you know, you need to get to know them and you need to know what kind of like, people they are and what they've been through to get that performance. I know it sounds silly, but honestly, part of being a director is being a friend and almost like being a therapist. You have to be open to listening and be vulnerable and communicate. It's pretty crazy, but it's true. I've noticed that with the actors that I've let myself go and connect with, I've gotten way more of a stronger performance than with others. So when I say get to know them, um, I mean, what I mean by that is once you have casted the film, maybe a good way to congratulate them and, you know, before rehearsing and everything, maybe take them out to coffee or lunch. If it's, if it's not in the budget, like maybe you could meet for, you know, donuts, whatever. It doesn't have to be this like fancy thing. It's just like nice to, you know, feel acknowledged. So Take out the actor, take both actors out, whoever is in the scene, take them out to talk to them, get to know them. I personally like to get the, get to know them individually, but if it's like a family or like a couple or whatever the situation is, sometimes it works just doing it with them together. Cause it, you know, they're going to be acting in the scene together anyway. So might as well break the ice. 
you meet with them, you kind of get to know them. I know it sounds silly, like, okay, like you take out your actors to coffee, like it's a date. No, not like it's a date, but you do want to get to know them because you are expecting them to put themselves in a vulnerable space to get the performance that you want. Wouldn't it be weird to just like be like, hey, Susie, can you um act sad and vulnerable right now? It's like, like I feel like she'd be like, who the fuck are you to tell me? To, like, you know what I mean? So essentially what I mean by the whole like take them out to eat or coffee is it's a good time to get to know someone. And it's comfortable that way. It's not awkward. You're not like working, essentially, quotation marks. You're not working. It feels like, you know, you're hanging out with a friend for a little bit. And while you're hanging out, you could be like, hey, like relating it to the script. Let's just say that the in the script that this character was playing, she was getting abused by her boyfriend. Um, that's a heavy thing to ask someone to act. So how would you get that performance? Maybe you could talk to the the actress and be like, hey, have you is the script personal to you at all? Have you ever, can you relate it to anything in your personal life? Or is this you playing something completely, you know, different out of your normal, out of your comfort zone? If she says, you know, maybe she does have experience. Maybe when she was younger, she, in high school, she dated someone that was not so nice to her. And she kind of has like that understanding what it feels like to feel smaller or like stuck or unappreciated. So Maybe in that situation, I could be like, if you don't mind, can I, what was, what was your ex-boyfriend's name in high school? And let's just say it was like John or something. So maybe I, if she lets me with her permission, if I say, Hey, when we're doing that scene and you have to get ready, your character in the story has to get ready to prepare for that scene where she's about to get beat up, like seriously beat up by her husband or whatever. If I say John in your ear, like if we talk about John right before, like, can you get to that space? Can you get to that like breaking point? And who knows, that might be a trigger for her. And she, she might be able to, like, you have to basically identify and figure out what is going to get the actors to a vulnerable point and open up and get that performance that you need. It's, it's a little bit psychological, but it's also having that trust and that vulnerability. It really is. Um, I was able to, when I shot one of my movies, um, the, the person playing the mother, I needed her to be very vulnerable. I needed her to tap into a, a feeling that I wasn't sure if she's ever felt before. In my story of Years of Faith, you can watch it on YouTube. The twin girls, they're twin girls, and one of them gets kidnapped on their 12th birthday. And I needed her, the mom to tap into this messed up space of what would it be like or how would you feel if you found out your daughter got kidnapped? Like, that is the worst feeling ever for um, – I feel like nothing beats that. Like, losing a child is probably the worst thing that could ever happen to you. So I basically was asking her to feel that. And I was like, how am I going to get this performance? Like how, like that's fucked up. Like how am I going to ask for that? You know, we just met like in casting and now I'm going to ask her like, Hey, can you do this for me? So we got to talking and I shared her, I shared some deep stuff, some deep personal stuff with her that I honestly hadn't shared with really anyone. And it got her to open up as well. And she ended up sharing things with me. Um, and as I'm sitting there and realizing we actually have a lot more in common than I thought, you know, and I would have never even known this if I didn't try or just talk to her. So in that moment, I almost felt like warm inside because I was like, wow, like we have, like, we actually have more in common than just like me thinking you're a good actress. Like there's more to, to us that connects us. And she was just telling me about, you know, something personal that was going on in her life um, that was really affecting her relationship with her son. And it was creating distance between them. And she was worried, like she had that feeling of like, 
him that missing feeling like he's not there anymore we're not as close or like something's it's not like the way that it used to be and like you know it's it's sad it's it's it was a deep conversation so and it, it even made me emotional and I was like honestly I was like this emotion that you're giving me that honest I was like honestly this this feeling that you're feeling right now when you're talking to me like the the eagerness the the love, the, um, the passion that I just felt from her voice. Like I was like, I need this perform. I need this energy, this emotion. When we do that one scene, when you find out that she's missing and she did, she brought it, she got herself into that space and she cried naturally on my set. She literally cried without those fake little, like, you know, I dropped things like she took herself to that space because she knew how much that like I needed that emotion, that realness that like I like like that broken feeling on screen. She knew I needed that. And she gave it to me. She put herself in that space, that like vulnerable space, thought about her situation with her son and just broke free, let those tears out. And it honestly made me so emotional. Like I almost cried myself because I felt it. Like I knew, you know, no one else knew what was going on. They just thought like, oh, she's just, you know, killing it, killing the scene. But I knew what was really going on. Like I was like, okay, first of all, like it felt so real to the story, but I also knew the deeper meaning behind it. And that is like some special shit you experience as a director. Like I can't explain it, but like you literally get close with people that you know you might have never expected to get close with you know different walks of life it's crazy like you get close with the actors when you do vulnerable like scenes or when you do it's it doesn't even have to be vulnerable scenes it's just literally different movies make you experience different types of emotions and feelings and situations so you know you kind of just make friends out of that like it's kind of hard not to become friends when you're like hey like we just cry together or hey like we laugh together you know So once you rehearse and you're like, okay, basically my actors are ready to go. Um, They're ready to perform. Now you just want to focus on kind of all the other stuff. (laughs) So you're going to basically identify set locations because the producer is going to do all the like, you know, get the permits, the insurance for the locations. But you are telling the producer, hey, like, This is what I want. This is the vibe. And you also want to go to the location scouts because you're the director. So you're going to be in charge of, you know, the look and feel. So you want to go check with your own eyes and make sure that it really looks like the way it's supposed to in the script. So you definitely want to go with a producer to the locations because you don't want to be surprised if you show up and you're like, wait, this doesn't look anything like that says in the script or anything like I imagined. So you don't want to be in for any surprises. So the best thing to do is go to the location scouts. If you, for example, I need a, I needed a school, but it was so expensive to rent a school on a student budget. Every school that we had talked to wanted like $15,000. And I was like, my whole budget is 10. So that's not going to work. Basically, we had to think outside of the box. We're like, what is going to work for a school? shit, I don't even know. Like I was getting desperate. I was like, I'll take anything, like whatever you can think of. What we ended up doing was using a boys and what What we ended up doing was using a boys and girls club, which was perfect because it's kind of like a daycare, like after school center, learning center. So it was great. I ended up still, I ended up having that like classroom look feel. And since my movie was set in the 80s and the Boys and Girls Club was a little outdated, it worked. You know, we were able to compromise with a little bit of set design. It was possible, but it's definitely important for the director to be at the location scout because you need to know like what this what the noise level is like when you're, you know, shooting there. So if you go there on a Monday, but you're gonna be shooting on a Friday or Saturday. Go again on a Friday or Saturday. How are you going to know what the sound level is like over there? When I mean sound level is like, for example, if you're shooting in LA, there's probably going to be an airplane flying by. And you can reduce airplanes flying by if you just don't shoot by an airport, right? So, you know, check your location. Look around and be like, okay, what are we near? Is there parking? Like, can crew park? 
Is it a pain in the ass to park here? Because that could maybe make you want to not get that location. If you're near an airport, maybe you don't want to get that location. Maybe if you're near a fire station, you don't want to get that location. Like, I don't know. Whatever it is, like, you should just go and scout it so you're not in for any surprises. Obviously, you have to work in the budget as well. So you want to work around. You want to make sure that each department has enough budget um, to make the look and feel come to life. So usually the producer will, you know, know where to put the money, like how much each department head will get. But the director also can help and decide like, hey, like it is more important for me that the set design has more budget because the set has to actually have all like this exact look. And then maybe we can cheat this like camera angle and not like rent this expensive camera gear or something. Like sometimes you have to make compromises and decisions and choices that you don't want to, but you know, you have to, you sometimes it's just not possible to get everything that you want that you had envisioned. So you just have to decide like what's necessary and what's not, what's going to add to the story. What's not. So that's basically it. Once you have done that, you are safe. And And once you did that, you pass pre-production and now you can go to production So production, what I recommend is all those like things that I had told you, like the shot list, the storyboard, the overheads, put that in your binder. And you're like, what binder? Well, I'm telling you right now, you need a binder. So it's called a director's binder. Director's binder is going to help you stay organized. It's going to help you have everything there. You can have, um, you're going to have your overheads in there. You're going to have your shot list in there. You're going to have your storyboard. So you know exactly what's happening. Everyone else knows what's happening. Maybe even have the um, schedule of the day in your binder. Um, you can have the, usually there's a producer binder as well, which has um, all the permits, the insurance, like all that kind of stuff. So all that stuff is on set as well. But your personal director's binder, it should have all the creativity and all the <clears throat> documents and paperwork that you had sent to the crew before in your binder. So you want your line script in there. You want some pens and highlighters and whatever you need to stay on track. And once you get on set, you rehearse the scene. So everyone knows exactly how the scene's going to go down. And so they can see how to light that scene. A common mistake that was easily made um, on production is people forget to rehearse the scene. I don't care what anybody else tells you. That needs to be the first fucking thing you do on set. Yes, I just said, yes, I just said that very aggressively towards you, but it's because it's really important that I want to stay stuck in your head. We need to know what's going on. How the fuck is anyone going to know what's going on if the actors are putting on their makeup? We're just setting up and like not knowing what we're setting up and who we're lighting. No, you need to make sure the first thing you do as a director is that you tell the assistant director, hey, call a crew safety meeting so that everyone first introduces themselves like, hey, like, you know, my name is Priscilla. I'm the director. And then you go in a circle and say what everyone's position is. So no one's confused. Everybody knows what everyone's doing. Everybody knows their names. No one's like, hey, uh, talk to that sound guy. Like, no, sound guy has a name, you know. So you do that. And right after that safety meeting, you need to rehearse. You, everybody needs to watch the rehearsal because we need to know what's happening. So the actors would start from the beginning of the scene and run it all the way through to the end. And everybody just stands around and watches them. And once they're done, then you get to work and do your thing. Then the actors can get into makeup. They can get into wardrobe. They can do their hair, whatever they need to do that can happen. And that way it's like, okay, so in the meantime, while the actors are getting ready, you know, everybody else is doing something as well. So it's, you're not wasting any time. It's, it's multitasking at its finest. Let me say that. Once um, actors are, once that's all being set up, you can go into the makeup room as a director and kind of just um, talk to your actors, run the lines one more time, make sure everyone's on the same page, answer any last minute questions. Um, and yeah, in the meantime, you, you know, you always have to manage if there's conflict or, or just questions or, you know, there's going to be things that people need answered. 
and you essentially just have to deal with that. So you want to have your coffee for the day. Don't be agitated. Be nice. Like a lot of people are going to come to you and ask you questions because, you know, you're, they have to report to you. Like a lot of people are going to ask you questions because they want to make sure they're getting that look and feel like you've been saying and wanting for weeks now. So, so you're going to deal with a lot of different people. You also want to stick to the schedule. So if the assistant director is like, hey, I know you really want that shot, but we don't have time anymore. Like you wasted so much time with that other scene. Then I have to make that commitment and, you know, just quit and wrap up and continue into the next shot. Even though like in that moment, I'd be like, why is the assistant director cutting me off? Like they're doing that just to make sure that you're sticking to the schedule and you still get all those scenes and all those shots that you wanted and planned for that day. Because you know, sure shit. Like I could say like, Hey, no, I want the shot. But then it's like, you're risking putting everything in the whole production behind. So the assistant director is keeping the director on its toes and on its, on a tight schedule, which is essential. And once you're on set, basically everyone's about to shoot the scene. You wait for the camera to get set up. Actors are ready. The sound guy is ready to record the sound. He has his boom up. And the assistant director would say, okay, ready, sound speeds, which is the sound. And then you would call camera and then the director would say, action. And then everybody would, and then not everybody, and then the actors would start acting um, until the whole scene is over and yell, cut. And make sure to always leave a couple of seconds after that take, after the scene's actually done. For example, even if the actors have already, um, finished all their lines wait like five seconds because it's just awkward if you cut it right away and you you never know you might need those extra five seconds to give that realistic emotion if you're not happy with the performance that you're getting from the actors maybe they're nervous maybe there's a lot going on on set um and you're just not a hundred percent with it or in love with the take so the best way to go about it is instead of you know feeling like, oh, I don't want to like draw attention or, you know, hold production to give notes. No, no, no. If you have a note, if you feel strongly about something, like something's not working in the scene between the actors, or maybe it's lighting, or maybe that camera movement wasn't like smooth enough or something, make those readjustments. Tell your crew, tell your actors, tell whoever like whichever department needs to step it up or needs adjustments or needs a little tweaking, let them know because communication is key. And honestly, without letting them know, they're not going to know if they're doing it right or wrong or if you want anything differently. But if you do say something, then everyone knows and they're like, okay, no surprises here. She did mention she, you know, didn't like this or she did like this. Um, So yeah, a huge, huge tip. Always always give your opinion um, when directing because you're literally the creative eye of the whole film. So, you know, this whole time everyone's been working to get that perfect match to the script that you wanted, right? Don't let you giving your notes or adjustments hold you back. And maybe like, I don't know, maybe you're worried like, oh, I don't want to seem like bossy or a dick or, you know, like a know-it-all or something. Don't worry about that because anyone who's ever directed a film or who's ever been on a film set knows that you're just doing your job and you're trying to just get the best performance out of the actors and make the film look as best as you can. So the best thing I would say is if it's in the actor's performance and you're like, oh, I, I want to give adjustments, the best thing to do um, is let the AD know, like, hey, I'm going to give quick adjustments. Or even if you're talking to the script supervisor and you're like, hey, uh, just a quick little uh, note, um, your actress in the last take, she lifted the cup up with her right hand, but in this one, she did left. So see, like, those are little adjustments that I would have to tell the actress, like, hey, just so you know, you, um, you, move, you picked up the glass with your right hand in the first take, but now you did your left. So we would have to stick to the same hand always picking up the glass for continuity so I could it could be like minor adjustments from anywhere from like hey make sure you pick up the cup with the right hand or maybe you're just not getting that tearful emotion that you were expecting and just like you know talk to him be like hey like that last take always start with a compliment and then follow up with the criticism 
say, hey, that um, last take was really well. I really enjoyed that performance. If we could just give it a little extra kick or I don't know, whatever, whatever the feeling is. Let's just say like she needed to be depressed. To talk to the actor and actress, be like, hey, I really need you to get a little bit more emotional once you deliver this specific line. Um, when you say the word, let's just say in the script it says Danny, once you say Danny's name, I want that to trigger um, that really dark and emotional side for you. You know, just any like note or feedback you could give to the actors to help them improve for the next take, that will help them so much just because that now they know what you want, now they know like what to change, and everyone's happy and it's a win-win for everyone. If it's something crew related, and you're like, I told the Genie team like, hey, um, I'm gonna want this like really harsh light on her, but it's just looking so harsh and it's it's ruining the shot. It isn't what I expected. Then just let them know because what's worse is you having a terrible shot that you can't do anything with because it's too harshly lit. And you're just, you know, every shot, every take is money. So it's like you might as well make the tell them the adjustments so that way um, nobody's in for a surprise when they're like, oh, why didn't you use that one scene that took forever to set up? Well, because the lighting was too harsh. That would be messed up to say it later on. You might as well say it on set and have them fix it, have them tweak all the adjustments, and then you're good to go and you got your movie back on track. If you ever come across any problems on set, a pro tip is to always let your producer handle it. I know that a lot of people, you know, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm independent. I can handle the stuff as, it, as they come. Yes, I know you're independent. I know you probably can handle everything, but you don't want to take away from the creative time with your actors and all the stuff you've been prepping and, you know, getting ready for. Because I know this might sound crazy, but when you're rehearsing a really, really emotional scene or a really funny scene or, or a scene where someone's about to get slaughtered, I mean, it's not really appropriate for you to be dealing with, let's just say, permits because um, some a cop showed, showed up and wants to make sure that you have your permit for set. That's a producer thing to handle. Like, yes, you can be aware of the situation, but that's just going to distract you and your actors from bringing out that performance and taking away from the rehearsal time. So let the producer deal with that. There's other people on set that are helping you during production solely that you can focus on only your actors and when I mean only actors I mean only your actors like you should have already done everything in pre-production to be organized and to know already everybody should know already like what to do when they get on set because of all the organization all the paperwork all the stuff that you've already presented to them before the shoot and which should all be in your binder as well so as long as you do everything that I said in pre-production, you should be organized and it should be a smooth shoot during production. Last but not least, my final tip. I just want you to know that whenever you're writing or directing a movie, you're really creating the movie three times. The first time the movie is being written is when you actually write the script on Final Draft or Celtics or whatever. You're actually, you know, writing the script. There's a lot of rewrites, but then you're like, this is good. I want to make this. But then when you get on set, I mean, you're sticking as close as you can to the script. But at the end of the day, you're rewriting the movie again because this time you have the camera footage, you know, things you're getting, whatever you can in the time frame. And the last time you write your film is during the editing room. So you're basically writing this movie three times in different ways. So you've been shooting. Everything's been going well. You're making sure that you're sticking to the shot list, the storyboard, to the script. The script is essential. You know, you have everyone else helping you making sure you stick to everything and yeah, just working together. You can really make that film come to life. It's definitely a teamwork team effort for sure. Once you're done with production, you would enter post-production. Um, so you would give all the footage, which would be on a hard drive. Usually there's a binder that the script supervisor has. Um, he literally supervises the script, make sure, or he or she super supervises the script to make sure that you're staying true to the script, making sure continuity is on point in every scene, and will tell you, hey, like this shot was good, this shot was blurry, this shot was, um, the sound was too low, or whatever. Like you go to the editor and you're like, hey, this is gonna make your life a little bit easier. I have a um, binder that tells you exactly which shots are good, which ones are not. 
And you can essentially go through the binder with them and the footage at the same time and and pick out which shots you like from which scenes and stuff. Or you could be one of those directors that kind of like is more, isn't as hands-on and then like checks the rough cuts and gives like adjustments. I personally like to, I don't like to be there like sitting there while like he's, while he or she is editing, but I do like to like meet first and tell you exactly what I want, what I'm expecting. And then you kind of do a cut. I see the cut and then um, make notes and adjustments from the cut. And after, you know, a couple cuts, after seeing it a couple times, adjusting stuff, after color correcting, after, you know, just making it picture perfect, um, you then have your movie made. You literally directed a movie from start to finish. Then you would distribute it, hopefully submit it to some, you know, networks, platforms, some channels, and hopefully it would sell. But yeah, that's essentially what you would do. Those are like the main points of directing. Basically, you determine the creative vision of the film and you have the complete artistic control of the project. So if you enjoyed this episode and think maybe directing might be something you want to try out, I'm going to be that voice and to tell you to do it because obviously you clicked on this episode for a reason. You're either interested in directing your own film or you just wanted to see if I knew what I was talking about. Either way, thank you for listening and I will see you guys next week.